So we've been in this series for four weeks, and, and what we've been exploring is the question, what's on your mind? Because we know that the thoughts that we entertain determine the life that we experience, right? Our mentality ends up affecting our reality. We know that throughout the scripture, God keeps trying to change people's minds so that they can see God for who he is, so they can see themselves for who they are, and so that they can see the relationship between God and them in a way that's clear, in a way that's true, in a way that's real. And so we, we learn throughout the scripture that Jesus is always trying to get us to change our mind, to grow in the way that we think and to expand in the way we think. In 1962, uh, there was a, a scientist, last name is Kuhn, K-U-H-N, uh, and he introduced this concept in 1962 of, of those moments in the history of science where there's a, a major shift, like a fundamental shift in the way things are seen or in the way things are perceived. And he coined the phrase in 1962, he coined the phrase paradigm shift. And a paradigm shift is basically when uh, some new insight or a new perspective or new information is made available and it alters, fundamentally alters the way a specific uh, scientific discipline is understood. So when Copernicus, for example, started to argue that the universe actually revolved around the sun rather than the earth, this, this formed a paradigm shift. This created a paradigm shift in the world of astronomy. People finally got on board with it and said, oh wow, we've been looking at it all wrong and now we're looking at it uh, through the new lens of this new information and it caused a paradigm shift. Uh, there, was a, there was a scientist back in the 1500s, an Italian scientist named Fracastro. And he came up with this novel idea that maybe certain diseases were spread by microscopic organisms. Before that, there was a different theory about how, how uh, diseases were spread. So he started advocating that people should wash their hands before they do surgery because they might have germs on their hands that would infect the other person. And people said, that's crazy talk. What are you even talking about? This is insane, right? But then, of course, the germ theory came in to, to full practice and everybody understood, yes, there are actually microscopic uh, particles that, that spread disease and it's revolutionized the world of medicine, okay? Um, uh, another one was Einstein's theory of relativity. It changed the world. It, it made a paradigm shift in the way we understand physics, right? So when this professor, Kuhn, was trying to uh, describe this idea of paradigm shift, he used this picture of a duck. He would put this picture of a duck up on uh, a screen and the duck would appear immediately on the screen whenever he would point at it. Um, and, and, and people would say, oh, okay, yeah, so this is a duck. And they would see the bill and the eye and whatever. And then he would say, actually... It's a bunny rabbit. People would go, what? And then they would start to see it differently. You see, these are the ears, and there's the eye, and there's the little nose on that end. You see the bunny rabbit? Everybody see the bunny rabbit? We're going to have a bunny rabbit class. If you don't see the bunny rabbit, we're going to see. But what he was trying to say with this picture is like, we're looking at the world in one way, but then suddenly we start to see it in a different way, and that's a paradigm shift. We start to see things very differently because either new information or a new perspective or new insight comes in. And it's not just in the world of science, right? We've experienced it in all areas of life. In 1979, this little band, they were called the Sugar Hill Gang. Some of you might remember them. They, they dropped a record called Rapper's Delight. I know some of you are nodding. Now, this is before my time, okay? I'm just telling you. Way before my time. Um, and this song was like, it's a hip. Hop, hippie to the hip, the hip, no, rocking. Dolores, you look like you know, you know this song. Uh, 
But what it did was it, it actually, re- it, it, it was li- one little song by one little band, you know, in New York, but it revolutionized culture. It was the, it was the introduction of hip-hop, and hip-hop has now become a massive part of, of culture, not just in the United States, but, but all around uh, the world. Um, and, and so in the world of music, that, that was a paradigm shift. In the world of technology, there was the internet. And the internet caused a massive paradigm shift in the way that we basically do everything, right? The way we, the way we interact with each other, the way that we communicate, uh, the way that we transact business, the way that we date, the way that we, you know, everything that we do has been impacted and shifted by the advent of the internet, right? In sports, Roger Bannister, uh, 1954, broke the, the, the four-minute mile, uh, running as fast as he could, and, and before him, everybody said, yeah, you can't, it's not, it's not possible for a human to break the four-minute mile. Well, he broke it by a few seconds, and then dozens of other people have, have broken it since then, but it caused a paradigm shift. Uh, but the most impar- important paradigm shift that has ever happened on the planet was when this blue-collar construction worker started wandering around the streets and, uh, of Jerusalem and outside the countryside of Galilee and started making claims about the nature of the world that were fundamentally different than the ideas that had been adopted by the culture in which he came. And, and what he saw was that people like you and me in his day, like we are today, were, were fraught with all kinds of challenges in our life. We, we carry around guilt and we carry around shame from things that we've done in the, in the past or we carry around condemnation in our life or sometimes we actually involve ourselves in patterns of behavior and we want to change them but we can't seem to break them. We keep doing the thing that we don't want to do and we, we try to stop and we can't do it. And, and, he, and he's walking around and, and he's observing this. And so what he says is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a massive paradigm shift in literally every aspect of your life. In every way that you see the world, I'm going to create a paradigm shift. He said, I'm going to create a paradigm shift in the way that you understand people from other ethnicities and other races and other tribes and other tongues. I'm, I'm going to change the way that you see that. I'm going to change the way that you see uh, the role of women in society. I'm going to transform that. He said, I'm going to transform the way uh, that you, you understand religious observance. I'm, I'm, I'm going to upend the apple cart. I'm going to transform it, right? People don't like paradigm shifts, by the way. They're not popular when they start. And, and this is what he was doing. It, he said, I'm going to transform, I'm going to create a paradigm shift in the way that you understand power and wealth and meaning and what's important and what's not important in life. I'm going to create this paradigm shift. And I'm going to shift the world's view about literally everything. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I've had moments in my life where I've tried to change something um, but I would like be able to momentarily change it, but then it changes back. Has anybody ever done that, or am I the only one, right? So like you want, it, you want something to change in your life, and you say, I'm, I'm going to do this now. Uh, and then so for the next month, you do this. Whatever, whatever this is, you do it. But then next month comes along, and you're not doing this anymore, right? Um, when I was in my 20s, before I had become a, a follower of Jesus, uh, every weekend I would go out with my friends, and uh, it seemed like almost every weekend I would drink too much. And as a result of that, I, my judgment would be impaired. 
And as a result of my judgment being impaired, I'd make decisions that were regrettable. Decisions that I'd rather not discuss with you in detail. Um, uh, but, but then I would wake up the next morning and I'd go, man, I wish I hadn't done that. You know, or I wish I hadn't said that because it, it, it harmed my relationships with other people and it harmed myself. And there would be, there would be almost every, every morning after I'd wake up and I'd go, I'm never going to do that again, right? I'm going to change that behavior. But, but the behavior doesn't change until the mind changes. You can temporarily change your conduct, but until you radically alter your comprehension, your conduct's going to go back and it's going to revert to what it was. So Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transform people's minds. I'm going to change your mind. I don't know what your situation is or what your thing is. Some of you I know uh, may experience um, recurring bouts of anger where suddenly you're just mad about something and you don't know necessarily why, but it just rises up within you and you lash out at somebody. But then when, when you cool off, you go, why did I even do that? Like, why did I say that? What just happened, right? For some of you, it may be something like pornography or some kind of sexual addiction or some kind of ongoing, recurring kind of uh, behavior or pattern that you, every time that you're, you're not doing it, you go, I'm never doing that again, right? But then you do it, right? For others, it might be binging on, on you know, uh, on food or, um, or, or spending or something where you're just like, it's sort of an impulsive thing and you do it and you go, gosh, afterwards you go, man, I don't, I really don't want to do that anymore. Well, see, Jesus comes be, to, to actually transform the way you think because he knows that if we just change the way that we behave, the behavior will revert back. And so we learn in the gospel of Matthew, we actually get a picture of what Jesus, what his mission is, what his vision is, what his goal is. So in the gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus retreat into the, the wilderness. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink, he just fasts and he prays and he gets his heart and his soul and his mind and his body aligned and prepared for his mission. And then Matthew writes this, it says, then Jesus, after he came back from the, from the wilderness, from that time on, Jesus began to preach and here's the content of Jesus' message. Now, I want you to just listen to what the content is and then I'm gonna start breaking it down for you because this was the content of his message that he preached throughout his entire ministry. And it was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, let's break this down a minute, all right? There's information and there's application, all right? The information is the kingdom of heaven is drawn near. That's the information that he is conveying. And what he's saying, this is Jesus' way of saying that there's a brand new reality breaking into the world. That I'm going to create a paradigm shift. That I'm going, to, I'm going to show you a new reality that you're not aware of. And I'm ushering it in by my presence. In fact, I'm the king of this kingdom that I'm bringing to the earth. And, and I, want you to, I want you to get on board with it because it'll be transformative in your life. Those problems and those challenges that you're facing, I can transform those. I can bring hope in the midst of darkness. I can bring peace in the midst of antagonism between people. I can transform you. That's, that's the new reality that I'm bringing. But here's the application. The application is the do. The do is repent. Now, if you're like me and you grew up you know, in, in, in church, you may have some views about what this word repent means uh, that aren't fully adequate to describe what it really means. So for me, sometimes when I think of the word repent, I immediately think of punishment. I think of 
guilt. I think of sorrow. I think of like condemnation. I think of shame. A lot of those words get attached to that word repent. And this is why most churches don't talk about repentance very much because it's so tied in with all these very negative, you know, ideas that we almost kind of want to steer away from it, right? But when we look at this word, when we look at what Jesus was actually saying, it's going to be, it's, it's actually transformative in the way we understand his message. Because the word repent, you can Google it, right? Comes from this Greek word, metanoeo. All right, we're going deep in the weeds. Is that okay? Can we just get geek out for a minute and like totally go crazy? So metanoeo is the Greek word that has been translated in your Bible, repent. Metanoeo is, is the combination of two words. Meta means change, as in uh, like metamorphosis, right? Something that changes. And noeo means mind, as in the word paranoia, like a, um, a troubled mind. Uh, noeo is the word mind. So when Jesus says repent, what he's actually literally saying to us is, I want to change your mind. I want to shift something in your mind. I want you to have a new perspective on your life. And I want you to have a new perspective on the world around you. And I want, to have, I want you to have a new perspective on God. I want to change your mindset. I want to shift your mindset from where you are to where I want you to be, because I know that your life will follow your mind. I know that your behavior and your conduct will follow your mind. Several commentaries I was studying this week on this concept. I want to read you a couple of the commentators on this word. One of them says this. Repentance, he says, is a transmutation of consciousness, a change of mind, a change in the trend and action of the whole inner nature, intellectual, affectional, and moral. It's a shift. It's a paradigm shift. Uh, Another one, Edward J. Anton said this. Repentance is not simply to look back on past behavior with sorrow, self-reproach, or contrition. But rather for Jesus, metanoia means a transfiguration of your brain that opens a new future. He's saying, I've got a new reality that I want to invite you to. But I've got to change your mind so that you can participate in this new reality. The author and pastor Milton Crumb wrote this. Metanoia means a change of perception with its behavioral fruit. So what happens is we change internally. Repent means to actually change our mind, to see things through the lens of God's eyes instead of through our own. And as a result of that, our life changes, our conduct changes, our actions change. But they change as a result of a changed mind. That's how metanoia works. So the question is, What, Jesus, are you changing us from to? What mindset did we have that you want to transform so that we have the new mindset, right? Because Jesus, we've we've learned throughout this series, if you haven't been at this series, go back online and watch the sermons up to this. We've learned throughout this series that God is always pressing us to change our mind. He won't do it for us. He won't, he, won't, he won't alter our mind for us. He urges us. He cajoles us. He, he nudges us. And how many of you know changing somebody's mind is not easy, right? Have you ever tried to change somebody's mind? All the married folks are like, dude, I'm with you on that one, right? Um, <laughs> um, but changing somebody's mind is not easy. So Jesus is, is, is giving us all of these these metaphors and these stories and these parables and these narratives and he's doing all of these amazing works to get us to try to shift our thinking. So what are we changing? What are we shifting from? What are we shifting 
two. And one of the main things that he pushes in on, and this might be the thing that is for you, is he's trying to change us from understanding a sense of external piety to a sense of internal purity. He wants us, in terms of our religious and spiritual practice, external piety is performance-driven, right? External piety is I am going to conduct myself in such a way that I appear to be on, on, on top of things, right? I'm going to handle my business. I'm going to look right. I'm going to talk right. I'm going to act right. Um, and that's external performance. And he says, look, I, there were a lot of people who could do that in Jesus's time. All of the religious leaders could do that. But, but if, you're, if, you're, if you're a pastor, if you ever decide to become a pastor, here's one thing you're going to learn. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. You will learn this. Some people are better at hiding it than others. That's basically, that's, that's 101. Pastoral work 101, right? We all are either external or we're internal sinners. We either are putting it out there for everybody to see it, or there's stuff in our life that we're, we're, we're not disclosing, right? And so Jesus says, look, I want to shift this for you because it's exhausting to try to put up the performance. It's exhausting to try to live a life where you are trying to measure up, where people are able to judge your value or your worth. They can, va- they can judge you up or they can judge you down, depending on what you're putting out there, right? What are my external data points that people can look at and say, this is who I am, right? Jesus says, I'm going to crush that. In fact, when they bring a woman to him that's caught in adultery, uh, they bring him, they bring her to him and they say, Jesus, the law of Moses says that this woman uh, is to be stoned and we've caught her red-handed. Uh, we've caught her in adultery. She's a sinner. Um, and so what do you say we do? And they're trying to trap him, right? And so Jesus brilliantly takes a pause, kneels down, they say, and, and writes in the dust and looks up and he goes, okay, you can stone her. But I'd like for the person who has never committed a sin to begin the stoning process. You throw the first one. And then he looks back down into the dust. And as you know, some of you know the story, her accusers sort of slowly slink off into the background, right? Because what he's done is gone, look, I'm, I'm gonna break down a paradigm for you. You think that religious observance is all about the external. And I'm gonna break this down for you because I want, I want you to know it's all about the heart, I'm going to shift you from external piety, from external performance to internal purity. Because I want to transform you from the inside out. Right? I want to do something in you that's going to last. I'm going to, I, here, here's the thing. For some of you, it, it, when we have an external performance mindset, it does one of two things. Either number one, we become a, an unbearable hypocrite. Right? So we learn. I was a preacher's kid, man. I got good at this. I got really good at knowing what to say, when to say, who to say it to, where to say it, where not to say it, you know. And I had, I was able to very, very nicely categorize and compartmentalize this part of my life from that part of my life. I was good at it, really good at it. Problem is, sometimes these two things start to nudge up against each other, right? And Jesus says, man, I want to just, that's exhausting. It's exhausting to try to to be one way with one person and another way with another person, right? And it's exhausting to put on this big external performance when you know inside, Jesus said, some of these guys, they're outside their whitewashed sepulchers. They look fantastic. Inside, they're full of dead men's bones. He said, so I, I, don't, I don't want you to be that. I don't want you to become a hypocrite. So what happens is we have external performance. We either become a hypocrite or we become like a bona fide heathen. We're just like, whatever, forget it. I'm just gonna do whatever, right? And I'm not even gonna try. 
I'm just like, I'm just going for it. I can't measure up to these ideas anyway, so what's the point, right? Jesus says, look, I want to break this down for you. I want to I open up a world for you where you can experience my peace, my grace, my love, my mercy, but you got to give me your heart. I don't want to see your performance. I don't, want to, I don't want you to try to impress me. You can't impress me, right? I want to see your heart. I want to I create in you a clean heart. This is why David said, search me, O God. Search my heart. Search my mind. Create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. Because Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm pushing in a new paradigm from external performance to internal purity. For some of you, that's what he's calling you today. For others, it's this. He wants to take you from a, a, a temporal mindset to an eternal mindset. All right? An, a temporal, a short-term mindset to a long-term mindset. Right now, you're, you're living life in a very narrow, focused way that's only looking at like the little box of your life. But there's a much bigger world for you to experience that I want to introduce you to. Have any of you guys ever played racquetball? Anybody ever play racquetball? Anybody? A few people. I don't recommend racquetball to anyone. I recommend you avoid racquetball, especially if you're not good at it and you're going to play somebody that's good at it. I mean, it is the most humiliating, demoralizing sport on the planet if you're not good at it. Because the way it works, it's this, in, this rectangular cube, and you go in there and two people with rackets, and a person that's good at it will hit the ball and they'll hit it in such a way that it like bounces off three different, you know, sides and then it hits the ceiling, whatever. But you don't know where it's going to go. And if you're not good at it, you go where the ball is, right? But you don't go where the ball's going to end up. So by the time you get to where the ball is, the ball is somewhere else. And it is a humiliating, like you can be, you can be completely out of shape, and you can, you, can, you can play the most fit person on the planet. But if you understand how the game is played, right, you'll kill him every time. Even if you're completely out of shape. Because people will end up chasing the ball. And by the time you get there, it's gone. My dad was a great racquetball player. I think the last time I played racquetball was a time where he said, all right, here's what we're going to do, son. I'm going to give you a 20-point lead. This is, this is the gospel truth. 20-point lead. We'll play to 21. (laughs) Winner has to win by two points. And I was like, this is golden, right? I'm smashing him. 20-point lead. The final score, dad, 22, Brent, 20. It was not pretty. And um, I try not to curse around my dad, but there was some mumbling under the breath that happened. Um, but because I'll, all I did the whole time was I chased the ball. I chased the ball. I, I had the short-term vision of the game. I was trying to get to where the ball was. By the time I got there, it was somewhere else. Jesus is saying, look, you have a temporal view of life. Some, some of you have a temporal view of life. You're chasing the ball. You're chasing whatever that thing is that you think is going to bring you satisfaction right here and right now. You're chasing whatever it is. It might be it might be power, it might be fame, it might be sex, it might be wealth, it might be whatever it is that you think is going to bring you satisfaction. And he says, that's not ultimately going to bring you satisfaction. Not that those aren't good things. Those are all good things, right? But, but that's not going to bring you ultimate satisfaction. If that's what you're chasing, that's, that's not going to get you what you want. I want you to have a long view of what, of what I have to offer you. In fact, there was a, 
a moment where uh, a, a young ruler, a rich young ruler, came to Jesus and said, I want eternal life. I want the, I want the big perspective. I want the eternal perspective. Uh, and so how do I do that? And Jesus said, well, are you following the commandments? Oh, yeah, I, I've got the external thing dialed in. All the commandments I've followed ever since my youth. And then Jesus says, okay, then sell all that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And Scripture says that he was sad. He was sad and he walked away. Why? Because he was chasing the ball, right? He was like, he was attached to something that was temporal. And Jesus was saying, I, I, want, I want you to have an eternal perspective. Who knows what God would have done with him? Who knows what Jesus would have been able to do with him? We don't know. We don't know his name, right? He might have been a Peter or a Paul or a James or a Matthew. We don't know his name because he was chasing the ball, right? Uh, another uh, person came to Jesus, Mary, uh, the sister of Lazarus, and she broke an expensive alabaster box full of very, very expensive oil and poured it on Jesus' feet and, and washed, washed his feet, and it says, with her hair. And people went like, what is she doing? Like, this is very, very expensive. And he goes, hey man, she's got the eternal perspective here. She's pursuing the long game. She's not chasing the ball. Some of us today, that's what God is calling us to. He's calling us to understand our life in terms of the eternal perspective. This shifts the way you understand things. This shifts the way that you see your behavior. If your conduct, your resources, your time, your energy, your money, your skills have an eternal impact, it transforms the way you you do everything. It transforms the way you work. It transforms the way that you interact with people. If you have an eternal perspective. So for some of us who have been chasing these sort of small, little, limited dreams, Jesus is saying, I want to break this open for you. And I want you to pursue the eternal. Stop chasing the temporal and start pursuing the eternal. And then I want to close with this one. One perspective shift that he wants us to experience is that he wants to take us from personal fear or personal anxiety to divine confidence. A lot of times we end up in our lives limiting our ability to do what God has designed us to do because we're relying solely upon our own personal abilities and strengths. And I can tell you personally, that is a limited way to see your life. That is a limited way to live your life. Even if, you're, even if you think life is going well for you, if you would trust in God, you would experience things that you can't possibly imagine right now. Every week, and I'll just be honest with you, especially during this series, this series has been very challenging for me because it it actually challenges me to look back at my own thinking and my own mindset and my own headspace and go, all right, well, how am I viewing things? Have Have I real, am I practicing what I preach here? Am I actually living this out the way that I'm advocating for everybody else to live it out, right? And a lot of times I'll hit this wall during my week where I'll go, okay, I realize that up to this point, I have been relying upon my own abilities to to counsel with people, to study, to prepare a sermon, whatever it is, my stuff that I do during the week. And I hit a limitation. I hit a wall. Because the things that we're doing, the things that we're doing in the kingdom of God, when when you're part of this new reality that Jesus calls the kingdom, it's a spiritual reality. It's beyond just what we're capable of doing on our own. And so every week I hit this, I sort of hit this moment where I go, God, I got to turn it over to you. I've got to let you take over. I've got to rely on you. 
Because I cannot possibly pull this off on my own. I cannot possibly get done what you've called us to get done. I cannot possibly lead your people in the way you want me to lead unless you're leading me. Unless you're leading me to lead them. I can't do it. And Jesus is very gracious about this. One of his, well, probably his closest disciple, Peter, who I love because he's so, he's so like us. He's so one step forward, two steps back, you know? He's like so say the right thing and then totally say the wrong thing like 10 seconds later, you know? He's one of those guys. And he has this moment where, you know, he, he was a businessman. He owned a fishing business. He wasn't just a fisherman. He was actually, he had his own, he had his own business. So he understood how, how fishing boats worked. He, his, 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 his reliance, his livelihood was based upon his relationship with these boats that would go out into the Sea of Galilee and they would haul in these big catches and take them to market and he had guys working for him. And, and, and so he had this fishing industry, he had this fishing business, right? But he knew that he was limited in what he was able to do unless he was willing to turn his, his gifts, his strengths, his abilities over to Christ. Because Jesus was calling him to something greater, a greater, a greater sense of what he could do with his time and his energy. And so there's this moment where Peter and some of the disciples are out in a boat and it's like just before dawn. And it's the sun's about to come up and it's a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And the waves are coming up and the wind is blowing. And Peter knows, like he's been on the Sea of Galilee before. The Sea of Galilee, big storm could come up and tank your boat. And, you know, he probably had friends die out there on the boat. So he, he, he knows the score. He knows what's going on. He's in danger. This is, this is you know, we got to be super careful. We're in this boat. We don't want to capsize. And suddenly he sees, the scripture says, he sees Jesus walking across the water towards him. And Peter says something that is unfathomable for a man who has made his living on the Sea of Galilee, knowing how storms work, knowing how the sea works, unfathomable for him to say. He says, Jesus, if that's you, Lord, then ask me to step out of the boat and come to you. You see, Peter's experiencing a paradigm shift. He's going, look, I, I know how the world works. This isn't my first rodeo. I know how this thing works. If I step out of that boat by my own power, I'm gone. I'm a dead man. Fish food, I'm gone, right? But if Jesus is who he says he is, and he asks me to come out, and I step out in faith, and confidence in him, man, that's going to transform everything. And Jesus says, come on, Peter, come on. Peter, the scripture says, takes that step, and he steps out of the boat. Now, like us, he has a moment. He has a moment. He looks down at the waves again, and he starts relying on on himself again, starts to sink, and the scripture says, Jesus reaches out, takes him by the hand, and pulls him up. Today, some of us, Today, some of us need to experience, we need to take that step. We need to experience that shift in our mind where we're going, look, I am, I'm trying to stay safe in my own little corner. I'm trying to keep things locked down. I've got my life situated right now the way it needs to be. And I'm afraid to go ahead and take a step and rely on God and trust in God 
to become the possible thing that he has for me, to achieve that potential that he wants me to achieve, to experience that paradigm shift that he wants me to experience. And Jesus is saying, come on, I got you. I've got you. Take the step. Step out of the boat. For some of you, you've never had this metanoia experience. You've never had this mind shift. You've had the sorrow. You've had the regret. You've woken up the morning after and gone, yeah, right? But you haven't had the mind shift. You haven't had the paradigm shift. You haven't experienced the true sense of repentance that Jesus calls us to. Today you can. Today you can take the step. But <laughs> the problem is you don't get to see what happens until you do it, right? Peter would have preferred if Jesus had built a little dock outside of the boat before he stepped out so that he would know that I'm going to land on this, right? But we don't get that. That's what faith is. Faith is saying, all right, I'm going to put my confidence in God. And it's frightening. But I'm going to do it. And I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to see what he has for me. Some of you have never done it, and today you can do it. Today it's your day to do it. If you do it, let us know. Put it on your connection card. Let us know. For some of us, though, I think for many of us probably... Maybe we have had that experience. Maybe at some point in our life we said, okay, I'm, I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to commit my heart to the Lord. I'm going to become a follower of Jesus. I'm going to put my confidence in him, right? But over time, like the, the cares of the world kind of creep in and you sort of slip back and you sort of slink away from living out the fullness of what God has for you and, and you kind of just get stuck back in your own little grind, right? And back in your own groove. Jesus says, hey man, I'm right here for you. This doesn't have to be a one-time deal. You can live a life where I'm, where I'm opening your mind, where I'm shifting your mind, where I'm transforming your life every day. Just invite me in. Don't try to perform. Don't try to, don't try to impress me. I'm not impressed. Give me your heart, right? Put your confidence in me. Take that step. Stop chasing the ball. Come after what's real. Come after the thing that will that will not only transform you, but it'll transform the world around you. Step into the higher calling that I have for you. I want to shift your mind. I want to take you from where you were to where I want you to be. But you got to repent. And you got to say, God, change my mind. Open my heart and transform me by the power of your spirit. Would you close your eyes for me just for a moment? Let's bow our heads and let me pray for you as we close out today. I know that there are some, I know that there are some, because I'm one, who something about this message hits a certain part of you and you go, gosh, I, I, do, I do want to step further. And I'm reluctant or I'm hesitant. I'm afraid. Um, and, and Jesus is calling you to take it. Take the step. And again, others are, or maybe it's the first time but you're feeling the tug of God's love on your heart and the possibility of, of real transformation in your life. And, and this is an opportunity for you to take that step. Father, I pray for each and every one of us today as we close out this series. God, I pray that, that your word would find its way into the hearts and minds of every person here. Whether I've said it well or not said it well or stated it correctly or misstated it, I pray, God, that your words would break in and open up our hearts and open up our minds 
that we might see you and seek you and follow after you and be transformed by you. I pray for the, the students that are here that are, that are really wondering about their future and they may, maybe, maybe they have anxiety right now, personal anxiety or personal fear about what the future holds. And I pray, God, that you would give them the courage to just put their trust in you, to have confidence in you, to step out of the boat of fear into the sea of faith, that they might truly experience your, your love and your power. I pray for the single folks that are here that maybe they're, some of them are wondering about relationships and what you might have for them down the road. Uh, and maybe they've kind of gotten tied up in their own thoughts. And God, I pray that you would, you would just empower them today to take comfort in you and to take a step of confidence and faith in your love and in your mercy. I pray for those that are married and in relationships that maybe are struggling right now, that they're being battered around by the, by the waves and the winds of, of life and, and they don't know quite, Lord, how to, how to proceed. God, I pray that you would enter their hearts today and show your divine love to them, God, that they might experience it in their own life and, and be able to share it with their, their spouse. For parents, they're trying to raise little kiddos and unsure if they're doing it well. God, give them your assurance and your guidance, your wisdom, your leadership. Those of us, Lord, that are struggling in all areas of our life, either in our attitudes internally or our behaviors externally, God, I pray that you would really transform us from the inside today and you would let us experience this true metanoia, this, this true repentance, to know what it means to have a paradigm shift where we, we actually begin to pursue you with everything instead of our own ends and our own means. God, I just pray that not only individually, but we as a church community, as a church family, would experience repentance, true repentance, true shifting of our mind, changing of our mind, that we might really see the harvest that you have. We might really see the ways that we can impact our community, that we might really see the way that we can transform the world around us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Guide us in that, God. Lead us in that. Show us your direction, God. Give us the strength and the courage to take the step that you've called us to take. And Lord, we pray that you receive all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.